Welcome to another episode of Scientology Fair Game. Mike Rinda. Leo Remini. And we're doing another we special up. another special Q&A from our listeners, which I love. I love because these. I know. I, love I just these. I I know. And I just hope that that the, uh, we're picking out the ones that uh once again we don't have this down yet. Once we get into uh, maybe if we do continue this, we should start saying who asked the question because I like to acknowledge people. Okay. Yes, so, I know. Mike, let's start with this one, which I thought was – they're all good, but let's start with this one. How do you adjust when you get out and how do you get money once you are out? Where do you live and how do you find jobs? Now, I'm I'm assuming that this is about people who are employed by Scientology as opposed to a person like me who is a parishioner. Um, right. Because Sea Org members, once you join the Sea Org, which is the what is the name of? I don't. I, how would you describe what what the Sea Org is? Like what is the clergy? I mean, I it's hate to the, use any kind of church related nomenclature. It's the the inner inner core of hardcore believers who live and work inside Scientology buildings and organizations. Right. The, you are the people who run Scientology, who administer Scientology to people like me. Yes, exactly. Okay. So how do you adjust when you get out, Mike? Well, it's tough. Often people who leave the Sea Org don't have anywhere or anyone to go to because many, oftentimes their family members are Scientologists, and if they leave the Sea Organization in an unauthorized fashion— they are persona non grata, and their families cannot be in contact with them. That's what right. happened so, to so, me. Right. So let me explain that. Like, let's say you were my brother, right? You were in the Sea Org, yeah. and I was just a parishioner in Scientology. And they said, look, they, they would call me immediately. They would say, Mike left unauthorized. He's jumped on a train somewhere. We don't know where he is. However, if he comes to your home, you need to call us right away and you need to not accept him. You need to tell him that he needs to go handle himself. He needs to go back to us, come back to us, and leave Scientology the right way. Right? So Correct. I would have to shun you, basically, so that you go back. Absolutely. And right. and and the it's actually the story is so that he leaves the right way. The real reason is to come back so that we can, quote, handle him so he doesn't leave. <laughs> right. And so what they'll do is they'll bring you back, right? So they'll bring you back with the intention of having you not leave. They'll have you under guard. They put you on the Scientology meter. They interrogate you because they believe the only reason you want to leave is because you have crimes that you've committed in Scientology that you're not talking about. And they put you on the meter and they do this day in, day out. You're put on hard labor, right? Not allowed yep. to call anybody, not allowed to talk to anybody. And then they, if you still want to leave after this heavy interrogation period, um, they make you do a video. They make you sign paperwork that everything was great while you were here. Nobody was abused. You weren't held against your will. And so then they could use that against you, right? And most people, exactly. like Debbie Cook, who famously left, and you should look this video up, everybody. Uh, Debbie Cook did that. And she said, she said, I would admit to um, killing puppies Murdering or something babies. like that. Murdering baby, I would have said anything, and that's a pretty harsh thing to say. 
but it shows you the mentality that when you're in that moment where you are being uh, allowed to leave after being held prisoner, you are willing to say or do anything to leave uh, the premises. Right. And so you usually have to depend on people, Mike, who have left and spoken out, which is which which was true in your case, right? Right. You depend on them or nobody at all. I, right. I'm, and what I mean by that, Leah, is in my case, I went to Tom DeVocht and then to David Miscavige's brother and sister-in-law who had and also are, left the Sea Organization. Right. right. And, they and left Scientology, helped, by the way. And left yeah, Scientology, I should say that. Right. Yes. Yeah. And, and they helped me. They yes. helped me. They gave me somewhere to stay. They helped me find a job. They were the support system that I had when I left because Sea Org members typically when they leave have very little money. You know, for 30, year, 30 plus years, I had been paid less than $50 a week right. and I had not accumulated any great reservoir of funds. I right. didn't have any, I didn't have a college degree. I didn't have any references. I didn't have anything, uh, you know. Fortunately, because of the position that I was in, mm -hmm. I had sort of more worldly experience than a lot of Sea Org members typically yeah. have. Right. Um, and I got a job selling cars. Which and Scientology tried to get you fired from. And they yeah, were going and after they said, you. you know, he's just a used car salesman and this and that. But the truth of the matter was I had to get some money in order to live. And right. with no resume you know sales jobs are good jobs under those circumstances because typically they don't care whether you have a resume they only care whether you can sell or not because you get paid right. on commission if you right. don't sell anything you don't get paid so right. it was a it was a a great solution for me at that right. time but right. i also mentioned now leah that this is the reason that us former Sea Org members started the Aftermath Foundation. Right, right. You know, because we all experienced this, the Headleys and me, mm -hmm. and, you know, we all went through this, and now we have an organization that has is there to help people who leave the Sea Organization. Right. Okay, here's the next question. Why don't the police yep. take action against the harassment of ex-Scientologists and Sea Org members? Well, this is a, a reflection of a number of things. One, the careful um, skirting of the law by Scientology. You know, you've said a number mm -hmm. of times, Leah, and it's very true, if you call the police on a PI that comes and is stalking or harassing you, mm -hmm. they may issue that person a warning or tell them to leave, but mm -hmm. Scientology would just go hire someone else. You have to have a repeated offender for mm -hmm. them to be able to tag them for some illegal act. And the fact that they are all hired by Scientology is not good enough to fulfill that criteria for for going after someone. The second thing is, I think, that Scientology cleverly says, if any of these people ever are asked what they are doing, they say that they are engaged in, quote, pre-litigation investigations. Right, they're and lying. This, 
is a this is just a a term that is used to escape because there is justification for private investigators right. to investigate in the course of litigation so they don't have actual litigation so there's pre-litigation investigation and it's right. just a sleaze around and then right. i think the third reason is that generally law enforcement has been hesitant and mm -hmm. reluctant to engage in battles with religious organizations or organizations that call themselves religious and right. top of that list is Scientology. And uh, to go into the next question, Mike, is how, uh, why hasn't Scientology had their tax exemption challenged uh, due to fair game activities and uh, misusing funds for which they have a tax exemption for? Well, it's because the IRS is uh, probably a, a like most government bureaucracies, not really wanting to do any work that they don't have to do, and knowing mm -hmm. that the fight that will be put up by Scientology will be the biggest fight that any of them have ever engaged in, right. and that um, Scientology will use and accuse them of being bigots and uh, haters and that they will conduct warfare game activities against them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you look at it from the perspective of a Korea IRS person who is hoping that his life will be a nine-to-five uh, Korea, where nothing really happens of any great significance or import, then mm -hmm. you can understand why they have a reluctance. But the the truth of the matter is, and I've said this many times to you, Leah, the IRS acts on two things, media pressure and political pressure. And when there is enough outside pressure on the IRS, they will act. And that pressure must come from the New York Times and the Washington Post and the big-time media that they pay a lot of attention to or the, the you know, House Oversight Committees or the Budget Committees of the Senate and the House who hold up the funding of the IRS until they get an, uh, an adequate answer as to why they're doing nothing about collecting the $3 billion from Scientology. Right. Leah, a question. Yeah. What's the importance of these gala events and how they influence parishioners? You were a parishioner. Oh, the gala. I yeah. put on right, the events. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, right. Okay, so there, as a parishioner, you are on top of your two and a half hours a day paying for your spiritual freedom uh, of which there's a price list for, so going to keep saying that so people get that it's a business for profit. Um, on top of the, uh, so uh, on top of the three hundred, four hundred thousand easy it costs to be a Scientologist, you were also asked to donate large sums of money to Scientology secular programs, quote unquote. Also, requirement to be a Scientologist is mandatory attending of Scientology's. Fluff events and these events, <laughs> they work on you because if you have doubts about 
what you're doing, the sacrifice you're making, the sacrifice of your time. So you're missing very important family events. Uh, you're missing things that are, you know, not important to Scientology. Family time, raising of your children, uh, vacations, living uh, beneath your means because you're paying for Scientology. You go to these events and the statistics that are given to you are astronomical. I mean, you basically think you're, a, you know, a god for being part of Scientology and you are given false statistics and pe they are editing things in a way that makes it seem like the world is on the side of Scientology and their good works. And if you doubted all of your sacrifices, these events really kind of get you back in because you're thinking, wow, I guess I'm the asshole because look at all the good Scientology's doing. And for me to doubt, you know, my dedication and loyalty to this organization, like there is something wrong with me. And so they really have an immense effect on you, on you big time. And remember, Scientology is your primary caretaker. So you know, you don't think your mom or dad is going to lie to you, right? We don't. Right. <laughs> so you're like, this has to be true because why would they lie about doing good things? I mean, yeah, looking back on it, you're like, are you a fucking idiot? Well, of course, they want to keep taking your money, right? But yeah, uh, but you don't. You yeah. don't have to be a fucking idiot to yeah. to to see what is presented in those events, Leah. Like you remember when Mark Headley and I. We talked in the aftermath episode, yes. you and me yes. and Mark, and we were talking yes. about how these events are put together sure. and how, you know, a little bit over here and a little bit over here is yeah. built up into this monstrous accomplishment yes. and a one shot of three people. Uh, mm -hmm. They grab a couple of more guys off the street and stick mm -hmm. them in there, and it looks like now there's 10, and that's made to look like there's 20, and there's 10 everywhere. And yeah. this stuff is very slickly produced. I mean, And you don't think that should, coming from your church, you don't, you don't think that it's a lie. You don't want to believe that it's a lie, right? <laughs> so, absolutely. Yeah, and and that, that is the thing that is played upon in these yeah. events. Yes. Yeah. You have a willing audience who is willing to listen and believe anything that is put out there and never question it. And right. they're, they're pretty slick. It's, yeah. it's, uh, and also it's, I, why we rail against uh, outside support now, like when you see a congressman or congresswoman or a city council person, you know, outside organ real religious organizations um, connecting up with Scientology, you have to understand that for those of us sitting in the audience, I'm like, well, that person wouldn't want to put their name on something. I'm assuming they vetted Scientology and found it to be right and found it to be, uh, you know, I just assume that they know, I, I just assume they vetted it, right? They vetted Scientology. And so for a Scientologist to get to see an outside source putting their stamp on Scientology brings me back in. Yes. Thinking, well, if they are endorsing Scientology, then but but then in further further investigation, I think uh, one of our very dedicated supporters, Stephanie Hutchinson, who was never a Scientologist, by the way, I have to say, she has been diligent about contacting these outside organizations and saying, this is what Scientology said that you have said about them, and time after time, Scientology is getting caught in the lies because these are internal events, everybody. So 
these people are not seeing what Scientology is saying about right. their connection to Scientology. And, and time after time, she is ex- exposing that these letters come back saying, uh, that's not true. We didn't know. We, we were just asked to take a picture. We never supported Scientology. And no, they didn't help us. And, you, you know, time after time. Yep. Yeah, and you know, also there's uh, amazing uh, people are doing amazing work, right? Of the like the the Scientology Money Project, your blog, Tony Ortega's blog. People have time and time again exposed Scientology in their front groups for what they say and what they're actually doing. And yeah. so, caution to people who are who are um, you know supporting Scientology. Know that you're only that you're only being used to get people to stay in who are maybe questioning Scientology and questioning, you know, how they've been raised and questioning the teachings. You're only helping Scientology to gain more control over them and gain more money and power for themselves. Okay. Next question. Yes. And well, no, let me just add one more thing to that. Please. Go ahead. Often those people who are supporting don't know that they're supporting Scientology. Right. That's why. A drug education program. They think that right. they are supporting a, you know, clean up the park and the neighborhood program. Right. And they're not told that they are supporting Scientology. Their picture is taken smiling with the volunteers who are out picking up trash in the park. And the next thing you know, their picture and their name is being put in Scientology publications and at these gala events. Right. Now, and people ask about that. They ask, how did David Miscavige come into power? Oh, that's a long story that we should probably devote an entire episode to one time. But in very short, in very, uh, I'm going to cut this down. David Miscavige is the perfect example of the product of the teachings of L. Ron Hubbard. He is... Uh, a person who has honed the skills required to succeed in the Scientology hierarchy. Absolutely lacking in compassion, doesn't give a a damn about who he treads on in order to get to the top, will eradicate enemies uh, by banishing them or or having them removed from their positions or whatever, if he believes that they are a threat. Mm -hmm. He he rose to power by seizing it from the people that many believe were the true sort of heirs to L. Ron Hubbard. I mean, this is a whole... Other story no, I get too. it. But Pat, L- but 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 a man named Pat uh, and Annie Broker were to right. believe to be the two people. They were a married couple. Rumor has it that that L. Ron Hubbard trusted them and wanted them to take over Scientology if he died. Right, but he he didn't leave anything for for all of L. Ron's ability to see the future. He wasn't able to write anything about his own death, uh, and has yet to come back. By the way, everybody, he's supposed to have come back. Um, 21 years after his death, he's a little late, and uh, I'm just assuming, I'm just assuming, Mike, he's not coming back, Elwin Hubbard. Well, I, you know, it could, it that could be the case, or else he just lost so, track of time. 
Right, because he's out exploring new universes, which is what Scientologists will say when you say, you know that L. Ron Hubbard actually wrote a policy that said he's supposed to be back 21 years after his death. And they're like, yeah, but, you know, okay, but like maybe he's just exploring new universes for us to go to after we die. So that is what Scientologists think. Um, and they make excuses for just like the Jehovah's Witnesses. You know what I mean? Like, oh, we're changing yes, the date we- of the end of the world. You know, changing it again. We changed it 50 <sighs> times now. But because we were going on a different calendar and we just and then really the guy who originally said it, he wasn't he wasn't right. He wasn't taking into consideration certain things. Uh, so there's always an excuse to remain in this. But so Pat and Annie Broker were supposed to be the true heirs and uh is that right heirs no that's not the right word no they were supposed well, to be the yeah, true it's, it's, um, it's a right word but pat and annie broker uh, and annie in particular were trusted confidants and associates with hubbard when hubbard went off into hiding which he did right. for the last many years of his life driving around in a motorhome in california it was with annie broker and right. Pat was sort of the liaison that was the connection between them and his secret location and Scientology. And right. those were the two people that he took with him. And one other, a guy named Sarge Falth, um, okay. Steve Falth, who has subsequently mm-hmm. passed away. But Steve Falth came forward and talked about those years and talk to Larry Wright about them, and it's covered extensively in the Going Clear book. Not so much okay. in the film, but in the book. Okay, okay. Annie and Pat were the people that were with Hubbard in his last years, and one would assume that those were the people he was planning on carrying forward with what he was doing right. once he departed. But as you said... It's a huge oddity in the the story of L. Ron Hubbard that while he wrote thousands and thousands and thousands of pages of here is everything on how you wash windows to how you deal with the psychotic to how you handle the government and taxes, he didn't write a damn thing or say anything to Scientologists about here's what happens when I die. Right. Not and by one the way, thing. can we post that amazing video of uh, L. Ron Hubbard has decided to depart his body? Yes. We need yes, to put that can. up because that's the most amazing thing. Now, so Pat Pat eventually uh, did some uh, illegal things, right? So Pat fucked up. David Miscavige found out about it and used that as an opportunity to tell Pat, go away or I'm going to have you arrested. Right? Is that the pretty much the long and short of it? Pretty much the long and short of it. Go away, so that's or how, I'm going to yeah. report report you to the IRS Criminal Investigation Division mm-hmm. for massive tax fraud and evasion. Right. And Annie sadly passed away. So that's how David Miscavige took over Scientology. Then he dismantled what L. Ron Hubbard, I would assume, had in place to protect. Scientology from a dictatorship, which it always was, which is funny. But David Miscavige then got got rid of all of those tiers, right? The you know, like an oversight committee, and he got rid of all of those. Correct. And by the way, uh, to add, people keep asking about Shelley to go into the sh- segue. Shelley has not been seen or heard from in uh, over a decade. 
Um, and we still have no answer as to if she's okay, if she's alive. And uh, there's really no way to find out other than a family member of Shelley's uh, filing a report, a, a welfare report, or um, uh, uh, filing some kind of legal suit. There is no way to find out about Shelley's well-being. Okay. But Dave uh, still wears and- his wedding ring. Yes. Yep. Keeping up the pretense. Yep. Okay, here's one. Yeah. What happened to Tommy Davis? So Tommy was a Sea Org member. You work side by side with him. He works for David Miscavige and David Miscavige's little organization. And Tommy Davis was kicked out of the Sea Org, but still a very loyal Scientologist. Well, you know, you know, he recently showed up in that book by Melania Trump's former assistant. Oh, in what way? How? Okay, you know, Tommy Davis's dad is a big Republican donor, and um, you know, he gave a lot of money uh, to uh, Donald Trump and to the inauguration committee, and Tom Barrack, who. Tommy Davis got a job with a big real estate developer like his dad out in California, basically funded the inauguration of Trump. I didn't know that. And Tommy was Barack's, Tom Barrack's like side, uh, I don't know what he calls him as like a personal assistant. I don't even know what he called himself. Okay. But this this there was all sorts of of financial irregularities that were right. ongoing in that thing and the new york times or someone else started to write a story about it and this woman who yeah. has now written a book and is out speaking yeah. said that uh tommy davis was taking care of it right and in typical tommy davis fashion she got steamrolled mm-hmm. being blamed for Spending money on this inauguration that wasn't she didn't spend on herself, she right. spent on the et cetera, et cetera. So he recently showed up in the news again. Wow. He's like a he's like one of these people that has disaster follow him. And by the way, wherever Tommy goes, there's the disaster. Disaster, right. And 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 Tom Davis, just like a lot of them, you know, his ex-wife, Jessica Rodriguez. Davis Feshback, whatever her name is, you know, it's funny that they have just zero responsibility for what they've witnessed and were part of. And, you know, regardless of what I think of, of Tommy personally, because I've known Tommy a very long time, uh, being a celebrity in celebrity center, uh, in Hollywood, you know, I saw Tommy basically every day. But then I saw the real Tommy when I was, had the unfortunate and fortunate luck of being in Tom Cruise's inner circle. Uh, once I gave another million, but I, I got to see the real people and, uh, they were the beginning of the end for me. So that's why I say, you know, fortunately and unfortunately, but I got to see a side of a Scientology that I really wasn't privy to before that. Um, but, but to know that they're running around, um, being Scientologists still and doing the work, like they're infiltrating politics to ally Scientology <clears throat> into politics. They're, they infiltrate celebrities' uh, lives to, to gain support for Scientology. It's all very insidious. Um, but the fact that they know 
and could stop these abuses from going on, continuing on in Scientology, and they do nothing about it, says says who truly they really are. Right. Yeah. I, I agree. I published yeah. a list of those people that I, that I called the whole of infamy, of the people who have been at the top of the C organization, work closely yeah. and directly with David Miscavige, who have left and remain mum. Right. When they have information that authorities could act on. Yes. Anyway. Okay, next. Okay, how about this one? Yeah. According to Australian Bureau of Statistics, there are just over 2,000 Scientologists in Australia. Taking mm -hmm. this statistic into account, how does the Church of Scientology afford the purchase and upkeep of their Australian facilities? Well, this is actually a question that is uh, Australiocentric but is applicable to every Scientology organization around the world. Right, because people say, oh, this big building went up in my state and my city. You know, uh, we have one in Seattle. We have one in here and there. Yeah, go ahead. Great. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yeah, those, yeah. those buildings, mm -hmm. as we have explained on the aftermath, are actually purchased with money that is raised, um, but, but more important than it being raised from the wealthy donors of Scientology is the fact that Scientology has accumulated an enormous amount of money, mm -hmm. like billions mm -hmm. of dollars, and that a tax-exempt organization has to spend that money, can't just accumulate and just be a big profit center. It has to spend the money on things that are supposedly a benefit to society. Scientology does not like to spend money on mm -hmm. things that, has to where the money goes out of their control. Sure. So they like to spend money on property because that property remains in their control. And mm -hmm. the IRS accepts that our exempt organization has to purchase and uh, and have property in order to propagate its activities, in order to keep right. those activities going. Yeah. So. It's a brilliant solution because it's both a fundraising gimmick and yep. it's a hedge against the IRS coming in and saying, you're accumulating too much money and not spending it. You've got to do some charitable activities. Right. So, and then thirdly, what happens is Scientology and David Miscavige claim, look, Look at Scientology. We're expanding all over the planet. We've got 147 new churches of Scientology have opened in just the last three months. Well, in actual fact, no new churches of Scientology have actually opened anywhere in the last decade. Mm -hmm. And that's a fact, not a one. But right. what they have done is they've moved their little failing local churches of Scientology into big empty buildings and right. claimed that this was proof of their expansion. So what you see in Australia is what you see all over the world. Small organizations, uh, local Scientology organizations, being propped up by Scientology, the big money bags, mm -hmm. with new buildings to make it appear like they're doing well. Right, it's like there putting is, lipstick on a pig, right? It is. Yeah, exactly. It's all, yeah, it's all smoke and mirrors. Yeah, yeah. they bought all these. They bought uh, a new building in 
Sydney, a new building in Melbourne, a new building in Adelaide, another new building in Sydney, a new building in Perth, a new building in Brisbane, all of these for 2,000 Scientologists. Mm-hmm. They've spent a hundred million or more dollars on real estate in Australia for two thousand Scientologists. Mm, no, there's something fishy here. Right. Even worse. Not only do they buy these buildings, Mike, right, for tax purposes, right, to offload that money, they then go to us parishioners and say we're fundraising for this building, so they are double dipping. Exactly. Yeah. It's, I mean, I mean, from the perspective, uh, if you were looking at this, Leah, uh, yeah. from the perspective of uh, a dictator who wanted mm-hmm. to come up with a brilliant scheme, yeah. this would be it. It's a right. brilliant scheme. Right. It's, it's, and scam. A, Agreed. It's a scam. Money yeah. And by the scam. way, I want to, I, uh, just so you all know at home, rest assured, I mean, if, if you find any solace in this, nobody's in those buildings. Right. So <laughs> it doesn't mean expansion. But here's the fucked up part, the really fucked up part. I mean, the fucked, 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 fucked up part. Because there's a drinking game, by the way, going on in this podcast. I don't know if you know aware of this, <laughs> but people take a drink when I say fuck. So that was five, <laughs> six shots right there. Do you know what they can do in these countries, in these cities? Um, if they opened up their doors as a charitable organization, what they actually can do, they're just, the, uh, like you're saying, the hundreds of millions of dollars that they wasted, the real estate they're taking up that is doing nothing for the community. I mean, could you imagine the amount of help that they could actually give the communities that they are in? Absolutely. If anybody would dare go in the door. If they were a real church. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I next mean- question. Oh, sorry. Yeah, you want to add to that, Mikey? I was, Go I was, I was going to say they they even put like little cafeterias in all these new buildings that they renovate that they yeah. buy and renovate. Well, right. those cafeterias could be could be feeding the homeless. Nope, they don't do that. They they have nope. handed out some waters. I mean, I do know that for a fact. <laughs> yeah, because you paid for them. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Next question. Okay. This one's a long one. I'm going to read it. I have a good friend whose sister is a practicing Scientologist. She attends the Celebrity Center in Los Angeles. My friend and I are not Scientologists. Although my friend is not a Scientologist, she was upset to learn that I watched your show last year. She Hmm. claims it was full of inaccuracies and lies. Her main argument is that her and her sister have a great close relationship and that her sister has never been asked to disconnect from her. Despite the fact that she's not a member of the church, she also says they have no rules about not going on the internet and that her sister has not been pressured to pay for courses. Mm. Hmm. Uh, you didn't like that one, huh? It's exhausting. Exhausting? Okay. It is. Well, it's I'll a... answer it. But I and, do and by the way, we have never said, we have never said that Scientologists. We have never said you cannot be friends with or friendly with family members who are not Scientologists. Here's the difference, everybody. Well, there's two differences. One is they are not allowed to talk to anybody who's publicly told their story about their abuses in Scientology or what's happened to them. They they are forbidden to talk to people and stay connected to those 
who are anti-cults, who are anti-abuse, anti-rape, whatever, whatever that person is saying that they experience in Scientology, that you cannot talk to that person after that, and they are considered enemies. Did you want to add to that, Mikey? Uh, no, I, I, that's exactly the point I wanted to make because mm -hmm. I think it's something that people don't understand. Right. This disconnection and who's an enemy and who isn't is something that gets confused. And yeah. that's why I thought that was a good question. You know, on the other hand, I will add, now they think about it. Yeah. Scientologists tell people we're not pressured to give money. We're not pressured to do this. We're not pressured to not watch the media. We're not this. We're not that. That's all bullshit. Right. It's it's what is socially acceptable. Well, it's it what I was what taught they... to say. It's what you were taught to say. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Nothing bad ever happens in Scientology. Nothing right. that ever is ever incorrect or wrong about anything that happens in Scientology. Yeah. And every Scientologist will lie about it. Right. Right. Because we are justified into, uh, in thinking that the lying is helping mankind. Now, you might know a Scientologist for many, many years, and they might never try to get you. Know that it's purposeful. If you are educated in religion, um, if, you are, if you're well aware of Scientology's uh, bullshit, you are already on the list of people not to try to turn, okay? But also just know that for years, for years, I purposely didn't promote Scientology with certain people because I knew that if I did, they'd be like, oh, see, she did it, right? But I knew there would be an in. One time they will need me. Their marriage would be in trouble. They'll need a drug program. So I waited like a, like a cat waiting to pounce, right, <laughs> on when my in would be with that person. So know that uh, there's reasons and, and circumstances that we don't know to this person who wrote, who wrote you that you are unaware of. Okay, here's another one. Yep. Why is Scientology popular with dentists? I was written up and eventually fired <laughs> as a dental hygienist because I refused to read an LRH book Basic hat for employees. Right. I was considered not a team member. Yeah. And by the way, that's illegal to yes. uh, fire people for uh, not wanting to um, get into your religion, not wanting to yes. uh, subscribe to your religious practices. But Scientology's front group, WISE, um, what does it stand for, Mike? The World Institute of Scientology Enterprises. Yes. Now, WISE is this front group that goes into businesses and says and claims, you know, with Scientology's L. Ron Hubbard's secular um, technology on business and how to run a business, you could 10x your business and your gross income. And you're that, right? They give you these amazing statistics. Meanwhile, the guy pulls up in like pants that are like, you know, 10 times too short for him, a broke down car. You're like, what? Well, so you're representing, okay. L. Ron Hubbard's, am I crazy, Mike? <laughs> no, Leah. Um, and so, but you just kind of overlook it because you're like, well, I don't want to be that person who's like, look, you know what I mean? Who's, but that's, but that's what they claim. Yeah, who's judging, but that's what they're claiming, right? If I show up and I say, you know, listen, you know, I have the, the answer to losing weight and I'm, you know, 
pretty heavy. You know, you're not going to. So anyway, um, Mike, why is it just the dentists? I agree. They went hardcore uh, for dentists. I'll, t- I'll tell you, Leah. Yeah. It, it's because one of the original wise consulting companies was called yeah. Sterling Management Systems, which was okay. a dental office okay. that was okay. started by a guy called Greg Hughes. Okay. who eventually joined the C organization. I knew him very well. He was in the hole with me and he left. That's a whole nother story. But okay. Greg Hughes had a, a successful dental practice and he figured out how to use the high pressure sales techniques of Scientology and L. Ron Hubbard to get dentists onto this program of selling and pre-selling Dental care. It hmm. used to be that you went to a dentist, and, yeah. and I don't know how many people out there have now had this experience, but it's become very common in this prac in this field. Yeah, you used to go to the dentist, and the dentist say, "Oh yes, well, you have a cavity, you need a filling." Now you go to the dentist, and they say, "We will put you on a year-long program of dental maintenance and hygiene." And we will collect your money beforehand, and then we will serve you as, and it retains patients, it has a constant flow of revenue, blah, blah, right. blah. And all of this worked out to make many dental practices not, it, it's untrue to say that they were more successful. They didn't make better teeth. They didn't yeah. do better fillings. They just well, that made was more the goal. money for the but dentist. Mike, what was the goal? Just like what is the goal of Scientology is to make more money. Exactly. For themselves, so yeah. These wise had a, a great deal of success in infiltrating uh, dentists because they could go along and sell it to the next guy saying, look, here's the revenue for this dentist. It right. went from X to X. And then they moved over to chiropractors. Because Scientology has a, nat- a sort of a natural affinity for the chiropractic world because right. they have been attacked by and competing with traditional medicine yeah. since day one. Sure. And a lot of chiropractors have a very jaded view of uh, the tra- of traditional medicine, and traditional yeah. medicine has a jaded view of, of sure. chiropractors. And L. Ron Hubbard, as we all know, had an astonishingly jaded view of the medical profession. So this fit. And so you see a lot of chiropractors and a lot of dentists that got Mm -hmm. involved and sucked into this wise thing and then started insisting that their staff study the works of L. Ron Hubbard. And there has been quite a lot of litigation over the years about this and quite a lot of of precedents that have been set saying, mm, no, you can't do this. No, that's not, that's not right. right. The one thing that I want to end on, Mike, because I, th- I think it's important, not just for Scientologists, ex-Scientologists, but for people leaving um, any toxic relationship. I think this is a good one to... And off, you talked about when you left the Sea Org and like physically what you did, right? Like just good ex-Scientologists yes. and Sea Org members took you in and helped you. And then from that, uh, you know, then you did that for another, right? And it was an amazing network of loving and caring people, which is not something you were taught in Scientology, 
But what mm -hmm. you, what maybe we haven't answered is how do you recover? How do you, how are you able to move on in your heart and in your mind? Yeah, and that's a that's a much more uh, complicated and lengthy process. Like yes. when I first left the Sea Org, I left uh, in an unauthorized fashion. I blew per, per them is per the them. Scientology yes. term. You blew, and, which means an uh, yes. unauthorized. They didn't say you could leave. Right. I just said right. I I'm out I'm of here. I'm leaving. Right. I'm leaving. And yeah. for that, I was declared a suppressive person. An enemy. But I still considered myself a Scientologist. Oh, you still believed in the teachings. Absolutely. I, I don't think I knew that, Mike. Yeah. When I first huh. left, I still believed that there was much value in Scientology. And mm. I still uh, considered myself a Scientologist, and mm. I practiced things from Scientology in my life. Mm. Mm -hmm. I even continued to solo audit to begin with. Oh, so that means you took yourself into like a Scientology counseling session and you were yes. applying Scientology techniques. And and I want to say, Mike, just I know that you have since d deserted all of that. But, but I wanted to say in my therapy, um, what I have learned is whether you leave something like this very toxic cult, right? There are, there, you know, because we're not that dumb, right? There are some things in there that L. Ron Hubbard was genius at taking from this thing, that thing, and then, of course, aberrating it to be this this uh, brainwashing cult. But, you know, I I was struggling with, like, but I still believe in this concept. And, and she was like, is there, you don't need to throw everything out. Some things were valid because he stole them from somewhere else, right? But it's about knowledges in life. It's about taking you could still think that just not in terms of scientology you could if that's still do you see what i'm saying like it's like we Absolutely. we have to throw it all out and then we're struggling with well i believe in the basic concept of 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 doing to others right i mean i be, still believe in being a good person i still believe that you know i have to look at my responsibility and that you know maybe i'm cause of some of the problems in my life right so you still subscribe to certain things certain concepts Yes, absolutely. And that's but, okay. Yes, and and yeah. of course. Yeah. But I I think there's one big thing that was a massive change for me when yeah. I left the Sea Org and then it sort of evolved into the major change in me of no longer considering myself a Scientologist, which was that when you leave the Sea Org, you are leaving an incredibly structured Yes, controlled life. environment. Yeah. And you walk out into a world where there is no longer anyone telling you, you must show up at 8.30, you can't do this, you must uh, dress this way, you must act that way, you, you can't talk this. You this. Here's what you're you going to eat. You must eat this, this yeah. is what you're going to eat, this is what yeah. you're going to do next, here's, yeah. here's the time you can take a shit. I mean, mm. literally, all of that suddenly vanished. Right. And I was left to decide and and sort of find my way on how am i going to live my life right. and what uh, and it it's somewhat scary yes and yet the most empowering 
and the greatest feeling of freedom that I have ever had was the freedom to be able to make up my own mind about things. Right. And and, and find you, your way. And find your way, right? You were making mistakes. You were learning, like, okay, I, I guess you don't do this in the real world. Like, that's not a you – know, you were finding your way. And, As and you, you know what the biggest yeah. impact on me, Leah, was? Huh? The fact that Scientology is an us-against-them world. And in yeah. the Sea Org, it's even more so an us-against-them world. And in OSA, it's even the next step up of yeah. us-against-them world. That wogs, those despicable non-Scientology humanoids who understand nothing about life, according to the principles of L. Ron Hubbard, who are somewhat beneath contempt, mm-hmm. are actually a bunch of decent people. <laughs> that that the wogs were nice, that they <clears throat> I enjoyed being around them, that yeah. they were kind to me, that I established friendships with wogs. Oh my God. Right, this and, and wogs is a derogatory term, and it's also a racial slur in certain parts of the country. Uh, this is what Scientologists call non-Scientologists. Yes. So, and, and they use it every day, like every day, like, oh, that's a wog law. Oh, that's a wog, that's wog medicine. That's wog think. That's a wog, he's a wog. Who gives a shit what a wog thinks? Go ahead, Mark. Yeah, it's like, yeah. It, it, it's like, it's like heathen. Yes. You know. They're, yes. they're heathens. They're yes. un, the unwashed, uninformed, unintelligent yes. people that populate the earth who have not yet found Scientology to attain enlightenment. And these people are like, I made some amazing friends yeah. who remain friends to this day from sure. the first people that I met when I was selling cars in a Toyota dealership in Williamsburg, Virginia. Right. And it struck me how... Yeah. I had to now start looking at things in a completely different way. Right. That that proved to me that not everything that I had thought was actually right. And then you start the unraveling process right. and comparing, is this what I truly believe? Is this what I really see? Or is this what I've been taught to think and right. taught to believe? I believe, right, exactly. And as that unraveling process comes, you start, or at least for me, I started to realize more and more that a large percentage of what you had or I had studied of Hubbard was not comparing to reality. I always thought that it was the other way around. When I was in Scientology, all of what L. Ron Hubbard said is absolutely true. The more I experienced the real world outside of it, the more I realized that most of it was untrue and that there was a lot of falsities and a lot. And, you know, and then I started reading books and then I started reading books about sociopaths. And then I started reading, you know, Russell Miller's book uh, about the biography of L. Ron Hubbard. And suddenly the world sort of fell to pieces around me, the Scientology world sort of fell to pieces around me, and I was left with, oh, I guess I'm no longer a Scientologist. So, Mike, do you think that you're still in your healing process? Sure. I think that, you know, 
I'm not sure that I will ever know when I have fully discarded everything that is false or untrue about what I may have learned. I think that I'm a long way down that road. Um, yeah. But every now and then things pop up that I question, like, is that really, is that, is that something that I just had, you know, hammered into me from when I was a kid or is that really true? But right. I, one thing I will say is that doing the aftermath and doing this this podcast and doing my uh, blog and making media appearances and being asked constantly and talking to people about their experiences has been incredibly um, in both enlightening and healing for me. Right. Yeah, that makes sense to me, Mike. I mean, also, um, I, I, and I, I wanted to say this too for for me as a parishioner because you you experienced um, physical abuse, um, mental abuse while in the Sea Org, um, as well as. Um, child abuse, right? Because uh, certain forms of child abuse do include neglect of your child emotionally um, and giving your children over to the seer would certainly fall under that category. Um, but also m making L. Ron Hubbard your parent as opposed to having parents. Um, for, for me, that is what I had experienced, right? On top of the um, abuse that we received, uh, maybe not physical, right? And and I've talked about this before. You know, when you find out that 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 your primary caretaker is Scientology, right? Right. And you walk away from that, whether it's a, a parent um, who is abusive to you, neglectful to you, a relationship where you were being mentally, physically, sexually abused, it's it is all covered under the same banner of trauma and having received that trauma. And I've been doing a lot of reading, which is what I tell people, like, what, what are the actual things, right? It's one thing to talk about it, but what's, what are the actual things? Is getting into the right therapy. How do you know it's the right therapy? You know, right? Because you're dealing with trauma and you need to get a therapist who's dealing in trauma work specifically, but also um, gaining knowledge, right? Because oftentimes victims compare themselves to other victims. Like, well, it wasn't as bad as that. So I don't have- right. It's not valid for me to say that I am damaged from my childhood or damaged from even, you know, it doesn't have to just be from your childhood. It could have happened last week. Um, but it's, it's getting the knowledge that you are, in fact, uh, falling under this category, that you do deserve the help, that you do get diagnosed correctly with what you're dealing with. And sometimes there's medication that needs to get administered. Sometimes you need to be diagnosed with the right thing. So you could say, yeah, okay, now that makes sense. I mean, I remember when I was diagnosed with what I was diagnosed from, I was like, are you sure? You know, maybe I'm exaggerating. <laughs> you know, like literally I was like, you, you know what I mean? Like, and I know that I'm not exaggerating. I'm, I'm probably with the other, many times like she would, my therapist would ask me to write something and then I'd say, and then there was that. And then I'd go on to the next thing. And she wrote, interesting that a major trauma event happened in your life and you wrote, and there was that <laughs> anyway. <laughs> right. And, and it's important that you get the right help that you, that you don't, that you you're, know that your pain is valid. And that's going to come from getting knowledge yourself 
Um, and what you're saying, Mike, right? Because religious beliefs uh, could be a great factor in your life. And it's it's really thinking, is this what I believe? Do I really believe that I should hate people that they don't think this? Do I really right. believe that I shouldn't talk to my own son or daughter because they're gay? Like you really need to explore your core beliefs and know who you really are. And if who you really are is that person, okay. Um, but that's what's helped me is I read books, Mike. I listen to podcasts. I And some things work. Some things don't. I don't need to believe everything in this, right? That's what we were told. Yep. I go, I'm going to take this little knowledge from here, this knowledge from there, that piece that works for me, and the rest I'm going to throw away because it's in the knowledges, plural, that we find our way, our way. And you know what, Mike? I'm going to give you a list of the books that I've been reading that, I, that I've gotten from my therapist that yep. we should put up about okay, healing. And it's not just about cults, okay? And um, I don't know. Take a look, you guys, uh, and see what you think. But I, but I think if you're, if you're on this path and you're looking at yourself and you're trying to heal and you're going to, you know, just know you're going to have good days, you're going to have bad days. You're going to have a, you know, a good week, you're going to have a bad week. You're going to have a good month, a bad month. But keep trying. You will find your way. Anyway, thank you so much for these questions, you guys. This has been so great. I hope to do more of those. Oh, and this news just in, Mike. What? Uh, seasons one, two, and three, all seasons of The Aftermath, are now going to be picked up by Netflix, available November 1st on Netflix. Very excited about No that. kidding. Oh, that's yeah. great, Leah. That's great. Yeah. That's great news. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not so much for Scientology. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's terrific. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, that's a good note to end on. I know. Thank you guys for listening. And I just put an apple in my mouth, which is really dumb when you're doing a podcast. <laughs> I will try not to chew because I really hate hearing people chew. It is probably one of oh, my top. Oh, I know 100. that. Yeah, because Mike, when Mike was doing the aftermath, Mike would live here at the house with us, and I'd literally leave the room. Between him and my husband, Angelo, I wanted to literally pull my fake hair out of my head. All right, yep. love you guys, and I love you, okay. Mikey. <laughs> Bye, Lily. <laughs> Till next time. Bye, Eddie.